1-800-THIS-IS-NOT-A-REAL-NUMBER, SO DON'T CALL IT. <laughs> Welcome to the Visionary Marketing Hotline, where you leave us a message asking your burning marketing-related questions, and we pick up your call and do our best to help you become a master marketer, or at the very least, to help you figure out how to make more genuine connections with your dream clients. It's time for our first caller, so let's get into it. All right, so welcome to the show. So today I get to sit down with Alex, who is our Visionary Method Program Manager, and we're kind of doing like a ask me anything marketing questions. So we've compiled a bunch of these questions from the Visionary Method Facebook group, which is open to anybody to join. And uh, I think we have 10 questions, but we'll see how many we get through. So do we want to kick off with the first question? Definitely. I can't wait. Some of these are juicy. So the first question, if you went back to the beginning, so your first years of building your business, which marketing strategies would you focus on knowing what you know now? Mm-hmm. This is a really good question because it, it kind of did transport me back like four or five years ago. And I really started to think about, okay, well, maybe what would I have done differently? And I'm certainly not somebody to live with regrets, but I guess I've learned a few lessons along the way. And um, I would love to share a few tips of what I might have focused on knowing what I know now. So thinking about where I found my first five clients, I think there's a lot of lessons in that and what I should have doubled down on in the early days. So the first thing I would say is just getting outside of your house, meeting people in any way possible. Um, so for me, that looked like taking a front desk job at a gym that actually connected me with so many people who ended up becoming clients because I was seeing a, a new roster of people every single day come into the gym. I was building relationships with them and yes, working front desk at a gym, like it's a minimum wage job, but the side benefit of that was that it was helping me to grow my network. And then when I had services to offer, when people would find me online, they could learn more about me and they already had a relationship with me. So thinking back, I would definitely have looked for more ways to get out there, whether it was working part-time jobs or just volunteering my time and making sure that I made a point to just get outside of my office, right? Like, I just don't think it's as easy to sit behind a computer screen and build your business. So that would be number one. Um, the second one is kind of on that note as well is to get out and teach workshops. So obviously you could do this virtually, but if you have the option to get in front of somebody else's community to teach a workshop using your expertise, like perhaps you are an expert in the keto diet or something like that. It's like what communities already exist that could benefit from learning about the keto diet. And maybe you're like, oh yeah, I know that, you know, runners could really benefit from going keto. Well, where are the groups of runners? Maybe they're at the running room. So you should contact the running room and teach a class for them. Maybe groups of runners, they're in a Facebook group like the runners of Toronto or the runners of San Francisco, join that Facebook group, get in touch with the admin and ask if you can teach a free workshop. 
Um, even though this takes some time and it takes energy, it is so important because it really establishes you and positions you as an expert. So that would be the second thing I would say. And then the third one, uh, reflecting again on where I found some of my first few clients, it was through Instagram. So I would definitely have doubled down on creating really great content on Instagram. And I'm not saying like you're going to meet people from across the world and instantly sign clients who live 24 hours away from you. Uh, for me, how I used it and how it worked at the time and how I would have maybe improved my strategy is using it to actually connect with people in your local community. So finding people who also live in your neighborhood, finding people who also follow the local health food store, um, starting conversation with somebody who just posted a story of them walking on the water where you live. Like, it sounds kind of mundane and kind of creepy, but Instagram is such an easy way to meet five or 10 new friends every single day and to get into conversation with them, to learn about what their wants and dreams and needs are in life. And through those one-on-one -on -one conversations, it often led to people asking, oh, hey, could you help me with my social media strategy? Or, oh, hey, could you help me with this task? Because they saw that that was what I did for work. So yeah, those would probably be the things I would have doubled down on. And I think all of them are still very, very relevant today. Yeah, so what I picked up from that for, for people, it's really finding out like, where is your community hanging out and really, really focusing on spending your time there. Um, whether that is out in the community or on social media, finding out um, who are they following, what are they into, and then that would kind of be your starting point. That's what I yeah, kind of picked up. Yeah, a hundred percent. And I love that, like really getting your mind in the frame of where are they already spending their time exactly. and then showing up there. So. so awesome. Thank you. Okay. So our second question is, do you have any recommendations for someone starting to build their network from scratch in a new city? Mm -hmm. I loved that you added this question to the document because it's something that I'm doing right now. So <laughs> I've told most people that um, about six months ago, Dave and I moved from Toronto to a smaller town and I was super worried about growing my network mm -hmm. and would I be able to meet potential new clients living in a town with a population of like 15,000, we'll call it. And I'm happy to say that like, I really do believe it is possible to grow a very solid network, both for personal interest and professional interest, even if you live in a small town. So a few of the things that I would suggest, and I do want to caveat this by saying, even if you live in a big city right now and you still need to grow your network, these tips can work for you too. So anyone who's trying to grow their network, these would be applicable. So number one, sounds silly, join your local Facebook groups. I know we all roll our eyes when we think about Facebook and we're all like, oh, like that's where my mom hangs out and posts all the memes and whatnot. But seriously, you guys, like through this one Facebook group I'm part of, that is like the ask anything group for the city I live in. I was able to find a community of runners uh, who I run with at least twice a week. I also found a lot of people who love biking as much as I do because I basically put up a 
be my friend post and said, I'm looking for people who bike at this speed at this time of day and people responded. So I think, um, showing up and really, you know, connecting with people out of interest and out of hobby is a great way to start growing your network. So what are your hobbies and can you put up a post to go and seek those people out? Um, the second thing I would say, uh, a tip for growing your network when you move or when you're just looking to meet new friends and meet new clients is to not worry about being the most interesting person in the room, but be the most interested. And that's a quote. Mm -hmm. I don't know who said it, but like, I think um, we all think like, oh, you know, like, I'm not that exciting. What would I have to talk about with a 50 year old or a 70 year old? Like a lot of my friends that I've met are in their seventies or sixties, because those are generally the people who have four hours to ride a bike on a Saturday. And so it's like easy for me to think, well, what do I have in common with them? But, um, the best way to deepen these relationships and to really, um, just like make true friends, I think is to just be the person who asks them a million questions, mm -hmm. be the one to be so curious about their entire life story and, uh, be the most interested person because everybody likes to talk about themselves. Um, and you know, I'm able to basically deflect and not talk about me at all until they ask. And, yeah. Um, sometimes that leads into a business conversation as well. And sometimes it doesn't, which is, you know, not the point of all conversations, yeah. but, um, it's kind of a nice side effect that sometimes people are like, oh, I could use your services or, oh, well, what do you do after <laughs> you ask them about them for 30 minutes? So, um, yeah, I think those are my two biggest tips is the Facebook groups and to be the most interested person. I love those. And I will say from experience, uh, from someone who's potentially moving to a new city, I have reached out to um, local Facebook groups just to kind of start building a network uh, in a new city. So from someone that has done it, guys, it really does work. So get out there and uh, Facebook groups are still alive, I'm here to say. <laughs> They are. And kind of before we move on on that topic, I was running with one of my new Facebook friends this morning and she was like, you know, I did feel so silly and so weird as a, she's like a 38 year old adult. She's like, I felt weird putting up a post being like, does anybody want to run with me? But then we looked around and there were four of us and we were all like, we're so glad you did that yeah. because otherwise the four of us wouldn't have been running together. Yeah. So surely if you're looking for friends, other people are looking for friends and connections no, too. Definitely. Definitely. I love that. Okay. This one, I feel like a lot of people will also benefit from there. So what do you do if someone's Instagram is at a salt and they really, really need help to like get that engine rolling again? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think a lot of people go through cycles with Instagram where they're like, <laughs> okay, nothing's happening. It's crickets, no new followers, yeah. no new clients. And Instagram is such a, a key tool in a lot of people's marketing strategy. So if your Instagram has stalled, I would say number one, you need to press pause and do an assessment. Um, so before mm -hmm. you continue on the content creation cycle, 
why not take a break and spend the week looking through your last six months of posts. And what you should do is pick out your top three or top five performing posts. So which posts got the most comments? And you can easily find this out just by going onto your desktop and just hovering over all of the different images you've posted and seeing how many comments each one got. So when you see one that has 12 comments, star that one, right? Make a note of that. Or when you look at the likes, you can hover over all of the different images off your desktop and see all the different likes. So you got 40 likes on one post and then you got 240 on another post. So of course you're going to star the one with 240 likes. And so in this assessment week, your goal is to pick out those top performing posts and then do some analysis on it. So you want to say like, what are the common themes of these posts? Like, did all of them talk about my personal story as a marketing consultant, or if you're a nutritionist, did all of them talk about your challenges with going vegan? So is there any common themes that are happening? Or maybe you realize every post that did well had a hand in it um, instead of just a plate of food, like bringing that humanization element. And I say that example because I did realize that while working on somebody's social media strategy, all of their top performing posts had hands holding the food rather than just a photo of the food. And that was a really good observation that we made that uh, people always like engage more when there's that arm or hand in the photo. So um, you're reflecting on what the common themes are. You also want to look at the image itself. Like, is it a really bright image? Did it feature a person looking at the camera? Did it feature um, two people, which always performs better than one person? Um, and then you also want to look at the caption too. So was your caption really short and succinct most times that you got a lot of hits? Or was it really long and went deep? Because everybody's content strategy is going to look different. So for some people having just like a little joke as a caption, that's going to perform really well. Uh, so you want to see what those common themes are. So that would be my first tip if your Instagram growth has stalled. Second, I would say uh, reflecting on there's a YouTuber and a social media coach named Nicole Arbor that I was introduced to about a year ago. And I watched her speak at a conference and she was telling us like the top 10 truths of social media. And one of her truths was that nobody has to pay attention to your content. So make good shit. And I was like, Oh yeah. So for all the times I've complained, I'm not getting that much, much engagement or, you know, why didn't people respond to my most recent post that I poured my heart and soul into? They don't have to pay attention, right? Make better stuff and you'll get better engagement. And I know that's kind of a hard reality, but in a world where there's so much content, like we could literally open any social media app and see 4,000 posts. If we wanted, it's really only the good stuff that tends to stand out and to perform well. So that's the stuff that's different, that's better, that's controversial, that is, you know, topical and talks about current events or issues. And so, yeah, my second kind of tip, if your Instagram growth has stalled is to really focus on making better content and delivering what mm -hmm. it is that your audience wants. 
I like to add one thing because I think sometimes people forget this is also just asking your community, you know, getting their feedback, whether it's asking them on stories, do you prefer long form content to short form content? Do you prefer audio or just the picture? Um, do you like this topic or this topic, right? Really like asking your community that's supporting you, what they want to see is also like something that people forget to do. Mm-hmm. And I've done that before in the past and people really do like to know that you value their opinion. So it really so does um, increase engagement as well. Yeah. I love that tip. And you're right. I think sometimes we can stir about it inside our own Mm -hmm. heads for so long when all you need to do is ask and see what everybody else wants from you rather than trying to guess it on your own. Exactly. Perfect. Okay. This one also, I feel like a lot of people may be struggling with. So how do you create captivating and attention grabbing content? And what tips can you share that have been really working for you? Mm -hmm. So I'm going to answer this question in a way that is actually just very topical to something that I am reading about and learning about right now. So I'm reading a book. It's called Presence by Amy Cuddy. Have you heard of it? I haven't actually. Yeah. So I kind of, honestly, I randomly stumbled upon it at the library and I've now realized that she has one of the most popular Ted talks on the internet. So there's, you know, a reason why my little local library (laughs) has this book, I guess, but in order to create captivating and attention grabbing content, I think that one of the best things that we can all do as business owners is to have a strong presence And Mm -hmm. this is what Amy is talking about in this book that I am reading, but it's really about what she would define, like what makes up your presence on the internet, which is your enthusiasm for what you do, your passion, or, you know, your, like your true, um, like it's almost that energy that like glows out of you for my product or my service is really, really awesome. And then the third thing is in the confidence that you have, like, do you believe that you can deliver on the promise that Mm -hmm. you are saying you can deliver on and in confidence too? It's like, do you have the proof, the testimonials Mm -hmm. and the case studies to back you up when you say that you're one of the best personal trainers out there? Um, because I think those three elements, so enthusiasm, passion, and confidence, they are captivating. Like Mm -hmm. we can all think of a moment where we've been in somebody's presence that there's just something about them. It's not that they're the loudest person in the room, but it's usually that they have this like quiet confidence to them. They have Mm -hmm. this genuine passion to them and they have a unique enthusiasm around a subject matter that maybe we are not that Mm -hmm. enthused about, but in their presence, we're kind of like, Oh, like, I want to hear more about what you're saying because you're making me interested in whatever it is that you're talking about. So, you know, there are probably a lot of ways that I could answer this question about making more attention grabbing content. Like I could give you many ways to create clickbait content, but uh, I would recommend everybody work on your presence because it's oftentimes a feeling that will make people attracted to your content. It's not necessarily going to be like making sure there's pops of neon in Mm -hmm. every image, but it's like, 
what's the overall feeling that you are evoking by creating this content. So I would recommend everyone go read or watch that book, read the book or watch the YouTube (laughs) by Amy Cuddy. That's awesome. I'll definitely check that out. I haven't heard of her. So I look forward and looking at her TED talk, but I do want to add one thing onto that as well is I feel like if you really, really believe in your product and your service and you've seen, maybe it's something that you've gone through and you know that this works, I think that passion and will evoke in your presence because you know, you have confidence in your product because you know that it works. Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes people just lack that confidence and then it shows but they deep down know how much that their their methodology or their roadmap, they know that they can really help someone because they've lived it. So it's just like remembering that um, to have that confidence with your with what you're offering, because that will be able like your community will be able to tell by the way you talk about it and how you're passionate about it because it, it's changed your life. It's so, so true. Yeah. Like there's something that changes in your tone of voice when you believe in your product and you've convinced yourself Mm -hmm. because you've helped enough others. Um, And that comes with time. So if somebody (laughs) listening is like, I don't feel that right now, like keep sharing your message, keep sharing your methodology with people. And as you get more positive results, like that presence does come. And I feel like also for someone that is struggling to talk about it with that confidence, I think the more you talk about it and the more you get that out there and talk about it with strangers or your friends, you build that confidence also. It seems really scary at first, but I feel like the more you kind of do it, you get, you gain confidence by doing it, realizing, oh, it wasn't that scary. And then your confidence builds off of that as well. Exactly. Yep. I love that. Okay. Okay. Question number five, what would you recommend for individuals who feel like they provide a lot of value to their community, but don't feel like they're selling much or signing any new clients? Okay. So I think this is a lot of people listening because Mm -hmm. they keep hearing this message over and over of like, you just need to give more value, keep giving free value. And eventually the clients will come. But the way I see that, like, it is really good advice. I do think you do need to teach and have offerings to your community that are very valuable, but that's only the first step in the funnel. So if all you're doing is providing value, you're really only bringing people in at the top and then you're forgetting to nurture them down to the point where you can present your paid offer and convert them into a client. So value is step one. That's awesome. But if you're not seeing any results like financial results or a number of clients that are coming on, if you're not seeing any results, it's because you're missing the second, third, fourth part of your funnel. So after the providing of value, you do need to make sure that you have some sort of system where you're nurturing the relationship. So if you're adding value in the sense that you give out a free worksheet on how to write your brand story, That's great. That's really valuable. But once somebody opts into that, 
what's happening after. Okay. So maybe then you start sending a weekly email. So you're kind of bringing them down the funnel a bit. Now, you know, they're interested in writing a brand story. It's your job to keep showing up to really build a relationship with them. So maybe you send them a weekly email. Well, what needs to happen next is you need to pay attention to who's opening the emails, who's clicking through the emails, who is now engaging on your Instagram content, who's showing up in your Facebook community because they downloaded your free value. Now they're in your community. Pay attention to who those keeners are, because that's um, when you see people moving down the funnel a little bit. From there, your job is to actually get into a one-on-one conversation with these people. So if you think of a, a typical business, we have our marketing department. Marketing's job is to bring people into the sales department, right? So now if you're running your own business, you've done your marketing by offering value, but you're forgetting to run your sales department. You have to think about how can I sit down and chat with this person and have a sales conversation? So if you see somebody constantly engaging in your content, then your job is to reach out to them or find a way to invite them into an experience so that you can have a conversation so that you can learn about their, their goals and their desires. Do they need help writing a brand story? Because maybe that's what you do. So you need to get into that conversation to learn about what they're struggling with. And then is when you have the opportunity to present your paid offer. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of work that has to be done (laughs) after giving the value that a lot of people just kind of forget that they have to do, but don't forget about your sales department and getting into those conversations so that you can pitch your product or service. And I think it was you that shared this with me, but it was the life uh, cycle of a customer, how it could take someone over a year or two years or three years to like build that confidence, go through all of that funnel and then buy from you. So Mm -hmm. for the listeners, just don't get discouraged because they're, they're following you. So they're just starting their life cycle with you. And you don't know if that's going to be one year, two years and three years, but that is still building your cycle to eventually getting them potentially to be a Uh, buying customer. Exactly. Yeah. Everybody's on their own timeline. And that's where the phrase, whenever you're ready, here are a few ways you can work with me because everybody's going to be ready to work with you Mm -hmm. at very different moments. And yeah, like you said, it could be a year, it could be five years and we should honor each customer the same. Mm -hmm. Exactly. That's great. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Um, Okay. Question number six. Do you have any tips for helping someone that identifies as an introvert to get more visible so they can grow their business? Hmm. Yeah, I I really enjoy this question because, (laughs) you know, I've gone through phases of definitely identifying as an introvert. So um, I think, first of all, whoever wrote this question or came to us with this challenge, like, I want to congratulate you for being um, like self-aware enough to know that this is a character trait that you don't need to be ashamed of. This Mm -hmm. is just something that is part of your DNA and it is okay to be an introvert and to have a business. You can be very successful being an introvert and having a successful business. So I think like similar to how they say, um, the first step in Alcoholics Anonymous is like acknowledgement or like 
you know, in interventions and acknowledgement, (laughs) I might be getting that wrong, but I think like step one, identify those character traits that define who you are and be proud of them. And then is when we can figure out ways to overcome them and to build a marketing strategy that actually honors your introverted tendencies, because, um, everybody's marketing strategy is going to look so different based Mm -hmm. on who you are as a business owner. So I just don't believe in a one size fits all because some Mm -hmm. marketing strategies are like, you know, shout from the rooftops and rally thousands of people. That's not going to work for an introverted person. Mm -hmm. So I would say number one, use your quiet confidence as an introvert to show your expertise instead of shouting. So realize that you don't need to be, you know, yelling from stage in order to make people pay attention to you. You can showcase your talents in a very calm and collected way. Um, So I often think about the phrase, it's the calmest person in the room who often garners the most attention or it's the most confident person in the room. It's not usually the loudest person that people are most intrigued with. It's the person kind of standing off to the side, listening, smiling, who maybe hasn't said that much. And you're like, what do you do? Because you haven't said a (laughs) word in an hour and now I'm really curious, right? So I think that can actually play to your advantage. But I would say if you are an introvert, try to schedule content creation times when you are feeling energized and create the type of content that doesn't have to be delivered live. Like Mm -hmm. this podcast we're recording right now. I could say it was just me recording this. I could record it with the Zoom uh, video off, um, just like in my office, being introverted. And then I could send it to someone to edit it and it could be uploaded every Sunday at 8 p.m. And that didn't involve me needing to talk to anyone to go on a live video and I can create when I'm feeling the energy to create. Same thing with a YouTube video, right? Like maybe when you get the energy, you record a batch of YouTube videos and then you release them in spurts and you don't have to engage live with the audience. Yes, you should still show up to promote your YouTube video and to engage in the comments. But again, you can do that from behind your screen and it's still wildly effective. Um, you could pre-record Instagram reels, or if you're doing Instagram videos, you can do that ahead of time. And, you know, now that we live in this very virtual world, like why not try out teaching a virtual workshop or getting in front of somebody else's community? Cause you can do it from the comfort of your home. So I'm in my office. I feel safe. I feel protected. I just have to snap into somebody else's zoom room. And so if you can kind of find it in you to still be able to do live, um, experiential workshops like that, Now that we have the option to do them virtually, I would suggest that as well, just to show face in real time and to bring some humanization to your brand. So I think there's lots of ways to do it. And um, part of the marketing mastery intensive that we have coming up at the end of May, which we're enrolling for, um, it's teaching you how to take who you already are and become a marketer and to build a marketing strategy that really reflects those core values, those core character traits that you already possess and to actually figure out what they are and to showcase them more in all that you do. Because if you can be yourself in your marketing strategy, 
it feels so good. And you never have to feel that heaviness of like, oh, I have to create this type of content because instead you're just becoming more of who you already are and showing that to the world rather than trying to be um, somebody else. So yeah, I think on that note, um, we'll probably wrap it up here because we're at 30 minutes, but we can definitely save the rest of the questions for a future episode. So thank you, Alex. This was fun. Maybe we can do this more often, but, um, yeah, I hope this episode was valuable for everybody listening and thank you so much. That's all for today's marketing hotline. We hope you enjoyed it. 1-800-WE-STILL-DON'T-HAVE-A-REAL-PHONE-NUMBER YET. But in the meantime, you can head to visionarymarketingcourse.com for more awesome resources. Again, that's visionarymarketingcourse.com and we'll see you on the next episode.